last service, but we have Bibles. If any of you need a Bible, if you, want, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to have one, we have them for you. Um, just raise your hand. We've got somebody in the back who will bring those to you. Maybe you just need one for this service, or you have a friend that needs a Bible. Take a Bible. They're free Bibles. You know, we're trying to get the Word of God out, and whatever means we can do it. Well, welcome this morning on this Easter Sunday. I have a question. Have you ever been in life, just going about your normal business in life, going about your normal day, and got a phone And when you looked at your phone, I mean, nowadays, there's, you know, you could see who's calling you. Back in the day, it was sort of, sort of like Russian roulette. You just picked up the phone and hoped that it wasn't somebody bad. But, you know, you pick up the phone and, and you look at it and you go, oh, I don't think I could talk to this person right now. Have any of you ever dealt with that? Broken relationships, right? Maybe you get a text, ah, can I respond in a week? You know, you get an email, and you're like, I don't, maybe just pretend like I never got it. And then you tell somebody, I never got your email. And they're like, well, that's weird. It didn't bounce back to me. And you play dumb. You avoid the conversation because that conversation is different than all the rest. That conversation is, we need to work something out. That conversation is, hey, we need to address something in life. Have you ever had these moments? We all do. In human relationships, we all have these moments where you've got a screen of phone call, you avoid a Facebook contact, you, you avoid a direct message, you avoid a tweet, you avoid, you run, you hide because you did something wrong or because you broke that relationship. You're not reconciled. Have you ever had these experiences in life? I have, and I tell you, they're not pretty, they're not fun necessarily. But we run into these um, issues. And, and, you know, for me, um, I, I, in 2005, I knew God was calling me to more in ministry. In fact, I knew that I had, I had already registered up at the seminary at APU, and I had already, you know, had signed up for my first class. And then, luckily uh, for me, not so luckily for people in the Gulf states, Hurricane Katrina happened, and I bolted. I ran out of here as fast as I, I got on an airplane, and I ran. And I was like, under the auspices of serving people. And, and honestly, it was like, yeah, I, I do need to serve people. And, and I really, you know, Anderson Cooper's there. And whenever Anderson Cooper is in an event, something terrible has happened. So I knew it was bad. And, and, um, and so I went legitimately because I saw people dying in front of me. And when I was there, I realized I was running from my call to ministry. As a people, whether it's between us and God or us and other people, we tend to run at times, don't we? When things are broken, when things aren't going right, maybe when somebody said something that they shouldn't have said, we tend to flee, do we not? We do this all the time. We avoid the conversations. And I don't know, but maybe this goes all the way back to creation. Maybe this goes all the way back to some of the very first stories ever told in the Bible. Maybe between Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. First, God created all of the world and it was good. God created the, the waters and it was good. He created the plants, the trees, it was good. He created man and it was not good, right? It's guys, we can't fend for ourselves. So God created woman and then it was good. It's true, read the Bible. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3. Ladies, you could use that as much as you want. Tell your husbands, like, hey... You're no good without me. It says it in the Bible. 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Let me explain what's going on before we jump into Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve were told by God, you could eat, actually just Adam, told by God, you could eat anything you want. Literally, this entire, uh, this, this entire garden is, is good for your consumption. You could have it all, but don't eat from the tree. Don't eat from that one. And Satan made them believe, Satan made Adam and Eve believe that God was holding out on them. That God was holding something back. And that, that if they just ate that, then they could have this knowledge that God has. And it's like, God knows. God's got this great stuff, and he's holding out on you. And so they bought into the lie, and they, they began to eat from the forbidden tree. And in verse 7, it says this, Then the eyes of both of them were naked, and they realized, I mean, I'm just, Let me start that all over again. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Makes a big difference. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I mean, I think that's probably the correct response hide when you're naked. Shame always brings this knee-jerk reaction to run, to hide your face, to not want to be seen. Prisoners, when they're captured, or people um, you see on the news, they're captured, and they're going into jail, or, and they're handcuffed. What are they always doing? None of them are smiling for the camera. You know, they're always doing this. They're ashamed of what they've done, and so they hide. As a people, really, this is our story. We fall into these broken relationships, whether they're with people or whether they're with God, and we tend to run and hide and want to avoid. And what, we, what do we want to avoid? The responsibility, right? We want to avoid the responsibility of having to, to change that situation, the, re, the, the, the responsibility of being reconciled together. When we broke our relationship with God... The rest of the Bible is this really this story of what really happened in Israel with God's people, of God trying to restore them back into relationship with himself. Because see, God loves us so much, and he does not want us to be separated from him because of sin. He loves us so much that he wants us to be reconciled with him. And Easter is all about the culmination of this story. Easter is all about the culmination because what happened in the garden when they sinned? Then all of a sudden, for the first time ever, death became possible. For the first time ever. There was no death before this. And now death had become a reality because they did not listen to God. And so now all people in the world are subject to this sin because as people we all die. I'm going to tell the story of a guy named Peter this morning. Because Peter really, he kind of is like a microchasm of this entire story. Peter, we look at his story and we sort of see that broken relationship there along the way and what the resurrection does for it. So if you've got your Bibles or if you're just looking up at the TV screens or you're on your iPads or whatever that might be, we're going to be um, right now in Matthew chapter 4. Looking at verse 8, 
Jesus is walking up through the region of the Galilee, which is more in the northern end of Israel. And, <clears throat> excuse me, there are people fishing. And these people are, um, they're on a boat, and, and, you know, there would have been just about an eight, ten foot long boat, a few people pulling in nets of fish, trying to make a living. And it starts out with this. Um, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now we look at that story today and go, that's crazy. Nobody do that, right? Nobody, like you're out work, you know, you're, you're at in and out flipping burgers or whatever, and somebody comes to the drive-thru and they're like, leave your burger and come follow me. You know, you're going to be like, you're a creep. I'm not going to, you're weird. No, I'm not going to do that. You know? you're, you're out working on the side of the freeway because you're, you're a construction guy and you're like, you know, pounding, you're doing concrete and all that stuff. So it's like, leave your concrete. It just seems strange. But in this region of Galilee, one of the things we have to understand is this is an extremely educated region of the world. In fact, these people valued literacy and education so much where other cultures didn't that by age five, a child would have had the Torah memorized. How many of you have the book of Leviticus memorized? You just this morning, you recited it to yourself in the mirror? No? <sighs> Sinners. By age five, though, they'd have this stuff memorized. They, they would just have it down. And then if you were a good student, if, if you were really good, then you would go on to age 12 into schooling. And at the end of age 12, you would approach a rabbi and you would begin to have a conversation with this rabbi. And, and if the rabbi asked you questions and found satisfactory answers, by the way, this is what Jesus was doing at the temple, having a conversation when he was a boy. But having these conversations with 12-year-olds and this rabbi, if the rabbi found you satisfactory, they would say, come follow me. If they didn't, they would say, go find a profession. A rabbi is a very high-level position in Israel. And so we don't know if this was the case. It's not written in the Bible. We just know culturally and historically this is the thing that happened, how you became a rabbi and a disciple of a rabbi. But Peter was fishing that day. So maybe he had this conversation, maybe he didn't. But maybe he was rejected by a rabbi at one point. And so when Jesus said, come follow me, he went, wow, a rabbi is coming and asking me to follow him. There's an explanation for why he would just jump out of a boat and leave. You know, I'm willing to bet that if you were flipping burgers somewhere and a businessman with a nice suit came and said, come be my apprentice, I want to show you my business and hand over my business to you, I'm pretty sure you would throw down your spatula and jump into the car, wouldn't you? So that's what was going on. So Peter began to develop this special relationship with Jesus. He began to see Jesus for who he really was. He began to hear from Jesus. He began to listen to his very word, all the words that he was saying. So flip with me to the book of Mark, and we're going to go to chapter 8 real fast. See, the book of Mark, what, what some people don't realize is that it was probably transcribed by Peter to John Mark in Rome. This is more than likely we understand that, 
these are the experiences of Peter in this book. And there's a lot of evidence to back that up. But flip with me to Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 30. <clears throat> so they're on a road trip. They're out walking, and Jesus is having this conversation. They're on their way to Caesarea Philippi, which, by the way, is one of the biggest pagan centers of the world right there in Gal- in, in, of the world in Israel. The Romans had come and built a temple to this god Pan who went down to the underworld and, and who was apparently went down to hell. And so they call it the gates of hell. I've went and stood right there. It's beautiful. Hell is gorgeous. Um, in the sense where in Caesarea Philippi is a beautiful place. It feeds the, jo- the Jordan River where that very spring is. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples were on the way to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, like where hell, the gates of hell were. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anybody. This is the confession that the church is built on, by the way. That Jesus is the Messiah and all other gods aren't. That Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. This is the confession of the early church. That Jesus actually is the Messiah that can come and save. This is the confession where the foundations of our church lie. I mean, he is saying that he is the Savior when all others are not. We have to remember, this. he lives in a time um, he was born during a time of Augustus Caesar, who proclaimed himself as Savior to the world. So for Peter to say that you are the Prince of Peace, when there already was the Prince of Peace. For him to say you were the Messiah, when there already was a Messiah. This was huge. This was a massive confession. Because some people thought, oh, you're just one of the prophets, or you're just a nice guy, or a miracle worker, or you're just... You know, you're just an interesting guy. But Peter got it right. He began to see Jesus for who he was because he was spending so much time with him. We know that just a few moments later, the story begins to flip. And chapter 8, verse 31 says this. This is right after that confession. He, being Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wow. So in the moment where, you know, just a few Years ago, he was called by this rabbi, and he followed him, and then he confessed, you're the Messiah, and this was all great. And then, and then Jesus begins to talk about his future and how he's going to die. And, of course, Peter, loving Jesus, said, no, Lord, may this never be. That's not, this is not a good plan for Messiahship, by the way. For Messiahship, like, you should really go throw out the Romans, and we should overthrow this place and take this country back. That's what we should do. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. In other words, you want your will, not God's will, for my life. You want your will, not God's will. 
And I began to think, like, when you think about it in terms like that, how many times has Jesus been praying for our will to be done, and Jesus has ever said, get behind me, Satan? Ouch. But Jesus told him, in other words, you tempter, get behind me. So in the one of the most intimate confessions of his life, also turns out to be one of the harshest experiences of his life. But he still follows Jesus. And he realizes, I don't have Jesus, this Jesus character all figured out yet. And so he still follows him. And, and, and a little while later, they're eating the Passover meal together. And Jesus starts talking more and more and more about his own death. And they're eating this Passover meal together. Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> Mark chapter 14, verse 27 31. After the Passover meal... After he told them, this, this, this bread is, you know, my body given for you. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. After he had this most intimate blood covenant type experience with his disciples, he says, you will all fall away. Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee, Peter declared. Peter declared, even if all f- fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. So after the Last Supper, Jesus tells his friend Peter, by the way, you're going to disown me. And Peter thinks, how in the world could this be? Because you know, we just ate this great meal together, and, and, you know, I did confess you were the Christ, and we also spent some time up on the Mount Transfiguration, where I heard God, the Father's voice, say, this is my son whom I love, like, I'm pretty sure I won't fall away, Jesus, I've been through a lot with you, I won't fall away. That's what was happening. But after the Last Supper, Jesus says to him, you will fall away. You will break the relationship with me. So Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72 says this. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant guards... By the way, this is after Jesus was arrested and taken up to Caiaphas' house. When Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also... We're with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and he went out out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is the one one of them. Again, he denied it. And And after a while, those standing near Peter, surely you are one of the ones, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I do not know this man that you are talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Have you ever had a breakdown? Maybe it's from a broken relationship. I remember, gosh, I can't believe I'm going to tell a story I wasn't, didn't plan to. Um, I remember... The, I, I, for some reason, this story popped into my head. I was like in the third grade, and I had a best friend. And another kid moved in, and he moved in on my best friend. 
And I remember crying to my mom that he's not going to be friends with me anymore. He's going to be friends with him. And And I just broke down for a while. I just laid in my bed and wept. I remember another time I was actually at Hurricane Katrina. And I had missed my mom's birthday for like the third time in a row because I was doing stuff. And part of my job at Hurricane Katrina uh, was to go around in a shelter. And they said, oh, great, you're a youth pastor? Just go around and talk to everybody. They need to talk to somebody. And as I was talking to them, I began to take on each one of their burdens. I began to hear about losing their house, watching their house float away, or sitting on top of their house and a helicopter floating over them and they being taken away, not knowing where their aunt was. My son was in the prison that flooded. You know, and just hearing these stories over and over and over again, one day they said, hey, would you make a battery run? Go to Walmart, grab batteries. So I said, okay. Got in my car and I thought, I should call my mom. It's her birthday. Called my mom and said, hey, mom, I'm sorry. And I just lost it. Have you ever broken down and wept before? You're such an emotional overload that you just can't handle life anymore. This is where I imagine Peter was. He, he was under no illusions. He knows how the Roman system works. He's part of it. I mean, part of Israel at this time. He knows what's going to happen to Jesus. Jesus had been telling him. He realizes that he's a part of this too. And so if he's sold out, then he might die too. And so he's afraid naturally for his life. And he breaks down and wept because the one person who was closest to him, he now just disowned three times. Have you ever been there before? Maybe you've been betrayed by a best friend. Maybe you betrayed a best friend and you realize the weight of how that feels and you just lose it. You just break down. I thought I trusted them. I thought they trusted me. There's something about running that reveals where you are in your relationship. Peter, at this moment, runs from Jesus. And even in other parts of the New Testament, it talks about how the disciples were downcast and sorrowful and, and scared. And after this moment, they didn't know what their futures held. And But they knew, you know, Jesus had taught, go ahead of me into Galilee. Go ahead into Galilee. And so, you know, we believe that at one point they made their way up to Galilee, a day or two journey by foot, a little faster if you got a horse. Mark chapter 16. Three days later, though, after Peter denied Jesus, there's women that are running to the, to the grave to anoint Jesus' body and to, to give him, you know, this proper burial. And as they get there, Mark chapter 16, and this is one of the reasons why we know this is part of Peter's gospel, we see these words. Verse 6, don't be alarmed, he said, and this is an angel talking to the women, because Jesus isn't there. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. He's not here. He is risen. You know, this sin all the way back early in the garden that led to early people to death, Jesus has now conquered that. And by following Jesus, he breaks the power of sin in our lives so that we can live with him eternally, whether here or in heaven, we can live with him eternally. That's the point of the resurrection, that you have eternal life forever. 
And this story kind of culminates. There's more to the story. It's not just go tell the disciples and Peter. See, Peter thought at this moment that, that, that he, was, he had rebelled. You know, that all was lost. He probably bought into the lie that he was damaged goods. How many of us have bought into that lie before? That we're like, well, we're just damaged goods. I hear people say this all the time. And maybe some of you thought this this morning. I can't walk into a church. I walked into that place. The walls would fall down. You know, you hear that and we're like, no, the walls won't fall down. They're really sturdy here. We've reinforced. <laughs> we knew you were coming. Rafters are strong. No, that's not true. You hear this all the time, but you're precisely the person that God is after. You are precisely the person that Jesus is running towards. You're precisely the people that, that God wants. Go tell the disciples and throw your name in there. That I want you. I want you to be a part of my kingdom. And we flip to John 21. It's the culmination of the story. Peter's back in the Galilee and now he's fishing again. Back flipping burgers. You know, he's back to his old ways. He's back to his old job. Well, one, the guy's got to eat. He's got to make a little money. Or maybe he was about to stay. Maybe he was just done with this whole thing. I don't know. John 21, and I've stood on this beach, the beach where Peter and Jesus have this conversation. Go to Israel if you can one day. It's great. John 21, we're going to go to verse 5. <clears throat> They're out fishing, and he says, He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And by the way, they didn't know it was Jesus at this moment. There's something you need to understand about the first century. When the sun went down, there was no light. It was dark. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved and said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Then the other disciples followed on the boat, towing their net full of fish. They were not far from shore, only about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with the fish on it and some bread. I love that it says that Jesus was standing near these coals. Because when you read the story of Peter's denial in John's gospel, one of the things that is abundantly clear is that the, the author John here is using the burning coals phrase in Greek the same way for when Peter denied Jesus, he was standing near these burning coals. And then when Jesus restores him, he's standing near these burning coals. Almost to give Peter this visual representation of, I know what's coming, right? Have you ever been called into your boss's office and you're like, oh boy. I know the conversation that's going to happen. I know what I said. I know what I did. Or your wife's like, we need to talk. And you're like, all right. <laughs> I know what I did. Your husband's like, babe, we got to really work this. You know what you did. Peter would have seen those burning coals. He would have heard the voice of the Lord. He would have seen the miraculous catch of fish. I mean, remember feeding the 5,000? This is all, all this stuff leading up to it, all this miraculous stuff. And it just smelled like Jesus and fish. And so he sees these coals, and he walks up to Jesus by the very coals where he denied Jesus as God. Not really denied him as God, but as his God. He denied Jesus that, that he had ever been with him. He denied that he was ever part of that. 
And he goes back by these coals. And Peter asks him three times. First he says, do you love me more than these? Probably the fish. Do you love me more than your old profession? Do you love me more than flipping burgers? Do you love me more than catching fish? What is it, Peter? Is it going to be your profession or is it going to be me? And he says, yes, you know that I love you. And he asks him over and over three times. He was denied, he denied Jesus three times and he was asked if Jesus loved him three times. By the way, there's an incredible, like you could do a whole sermon on just these three questions because they're incredible and maybe that's next Easter. But the same amount of times Peter denied, he was restored by Jesus. He was asked, do you love me? And then he was given a mission. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He was given a mission. So he was asked three times and then he was restored. He was freed from his sin, freed from his guilt, freed from shame, freed from running. And we know that this had a tremendous impact on Peter's life because just read the book of Acts. The book of Acts is all of a sudden this guy, Peter, who was timid and denying Jesus, is now standing before the Sanhedrin, really claiming Jesus. This guy's going to places that he wouldn't normally go. He goes to a Roman, Roman's house and eats unclean food with the guy. And prays with them. He goes to places he wouldn't normally go. And it got me to thinking this week, my kids love bouncy balls. I was thinking, you know, this is just like a bouncy ball, this story, right? You're like, what? In the world, how is this like a bouncy ball? Well, I was thinking about this. In our lives, when we are running and hiding, we're pretty stagnant. And a bouncy ball is pretty useless when it's just sitting here, Right? This is no good whatsoever. This is a waste of space. But when it's moving, it's like being used for its purpose. When it's bouncing, it's doing what it really was created to do. And the only way to do that for us is to be reconciled with a God who loves us so that we could be free. And the only way for us to do that in our relationships is to be reconciled in our relationship. See, the resurrection makes possible reconciliation between us and God and between us and people. So why do sometimes we just act like this old bouncy ball and do nothing? I mean, shouldn't we be used more for our purpose? Wow, when you look up into the light, you almost lose the ball. Shouldn't we be used more? So I got this video together, and I just began to think, what would it look like for the whole church to be used for their purposes? This is a cool video put out by Sony a couple years back. I want you to see it. One night to be confused, one night to speed up truth. We had a promise made for us and then away. Both under influence, we had divine to know what to say. Mind is a brace of To call for hands of
This week, you know, wouldn't that be cool to see the whole church? I mean, this what a representation. You would have to notice about 100,000 bouncy balls going down the street, right? What if the whole church was known for the capacity of which we were able to reconcile relationships? What if the whole church was known for the way in which we were able to love each other and love God? What if the whole church was known because we used our gifts We used our talents for his kingdom. We were reconciled with God. Unfortunately, a lot of the church is known for just this. People look at it and go, that's useless. It doesn't do anything. What if we began to bounce and to really live our lives with God? So as you leave today, after we do baptisms and benediction, don't leave right now. Um, But after we leave today, you're all going to get a bouncy ball as a reminder, to throw it, because that's what it was meant to do, to bounce it, because that's what it was created for, that you're not created to sit and live stagnant lives. And this is what happens when we're unreconciled with God. We tend to want to hide from responsibility. We tend to want to like not go there. This is what happens when we, when we are having unreconciled relationships. We want to hide from them. We don't want to do anything. But you're called to be bold, love boldly in a big way and be reconciled with God. Because when you're reconciled with God, you can't help but to love people. And when you begin to love people, and when the whole church begins to love people, we're like this massive dumping of bouncy balls down a giant San Francisco street. That's what we're like. People have to take notice. The world takes notice at people that love each other. So maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, I, I'm just like Peter. I've denied God with my life. I deny the resurrection every time that I don't feed the hungry. I deny Jesus with my life every time I do whatever. Maybe you've simply sinned and, you know, you could use the simplest term of like missing the mark or I like it, I prefer an even simpler term, just messed up junk in your life. That's what sin is. It's just messed up junk. You know it shouldn't be there. Maybe that's you and you just need to reconcile with God right now. I just want to encourage you to do that. Maybe there's somebody you need to reconcile with just in your own in humanity. It's Easter. Pick up a phone. What are you waiting for? Let's pray. Jesus, You love us, God, in ways that are completely unfathomable. In fact, you died on the cross for us. And then once you did that, you rose to life again, conquering death itself, showing that we could be there with you in eternity. But God, so many of us, so many times, we just, 
We don't even know why. We just do messed up stuff. Lord, and we need the power of sin to be broken in our lives. God, because we need to be more like this bouncy ball. We need to be more used for our purposes with you. Father, I believe there are some here today who need to reconcile relationship with you right now. If you're here, if that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, would you just raise your hand so we can see you and we can pray for you? If you just need to reconcile, that's great. If you just need to reconcile with the Lord this morning, I would just encourage you to just simply pray this. Lord, you know me. You know my heart. You know that I've messed up. Pray that you would forgive me and that from this day forward, you would break the power of sin in my life and walk with me. Father, we thank you for the work that you do in this church and in this world. Lord, we pray that you would use each and every single person here as an agent of reconciliation, just as it says in Scripture, that we're ambassadors of you to reconcile the world to you. Help us do that this Easter. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.